Welcome back to Mascot Talk College Football Podcast. We've got Carson and Bridger here as your hosts. Um, a pretty exciting past week in, in college football. Uh, we had a lot of really big games, uh, big-time conference games, uh, and and some pretty crazy games all at the same time. So let's just get uh, right into it, Bridge. We we wanted to start off with the ACC. So what what's that one game that you want to highlight from the ACC? Uh, yeah, definitely going to start with Clemson and Syracuse. We called that game pretty much uh, Syracuse, I guess. Well, I guess maybe we didn't call this one as uh, like we thought it would go. Um, I think we both thought that Clemson would kind of dominate this game. But really, Syracuse played a tough game. They dominated that first half, 21-10 to 10 at halftime, and then Clemson in the second half just pulled away and and they they did just enough. Um, you know, I thought that uh, – I think Clemson <laughs> – I mean, we, I talked about this a little bit before that game even happened about how I feel like Clemson's still a beatable team and they're not as good as – you know, obviously they've beat three uh, teams that are ranked, uh, still currently ranked um, with NC State – and Wake Forest and now Syracuse, but they're in the ACC and those wins don't mean very much to me. And yeah, it kind of proved it. You know, I don't know if anybody actually believes that Clemson would survive in another conference. Um, but having said that, they won the game, but there's kind of an argument that they shouldn't have won that game. If you watch it in some of the calls that they did get, um, especially offensively uh, from the refs, it it definitely uh, helped that game, but it kind of made up for the four turnovers that Clemson had. You know, you, it's, it's rare that you have four turnovers and still win a game when the other team doesn't turn the ball over. But, you know, I, I thought that game was big. They also took uh, DJ <coughs> Weunglele out. They put Cade Klubnik in. Uh, Kid Klubnik didn't do a lot. He he only threw uh, the ball a couple of times, and um, he he threw the ball four times, only completed two of those, and for 19 yards. So he didn't do anything crazy. But DJ Uyunglele threw two picks. So um, you know, if they felt safer putting Klubnik in, then and obviously they got the win. But I I put the win. Uh, more on Will Shipley's shoulders. I think Will Shipley's an amazing running back. He's a tank. That dude's huge. Have you watched him play a lot this year? Oh, yeah. He's pretty good. I mean, he ran the ball 27 times for 172 yards. I mean, he's he's quick and he's big. He's he's a really good running back. It, it, it seems like every time he gets the ball, they run the ball for at least five yards, um, even when he gets hit at the line of scrimmage, which is – you know, it's it's good to have a running back like that. I think that he's he's gotten them to a lot of wins. He's he's a he's a pure athlete. I, I like watching Will Shipley a lot. But um, yeah, Clemson definitely through just through the eye test uh, didn't look like the number five team to me. What did you think? Yeah, I'm I'm with you there, Bridge. I think if you put Clemson in the Big Ten East right now with Ohio State and Michigan, or even SEC West with Bama and, and even LSU. Like I, I don't think they can compete with those teams right now. Um, Syracuse to me really should have won this game. They were up twenty-one to ten. 
Um, Clemson had four turnovers to Syracuse's one turnover. DJ Uyunglele played like DJ Uyunglele did last year and just poor decisions. I mean, had a QBR of 16. I mean, that is just awful. So when, when you look at it, I feel like Syracuse should have won this game. And yes, kudos to Clemson for clawing their way back into this game and, and, ended up winning the game. But when you watched the game, I really felt like the play that kind of turned the game around was Clemson had a third and 16. Third and 16, Cade Klubnik is at quarterback because DJ Uyangale just got benched. And Syracuse does a great job in the secondary of taking all of Cade Klubnik's reads away. Um, Klubnik rolls rolls out to the right and and just has to run out of bounds because there's no where he can throw the ball and when he's already out of bounds just just about a step out of bounds Syracuse's D lineman just nails him in the back and that's a 15 yard penalty and an automatic first down and from there Clemson really I mean really should should a lot should I mean that was the whole reason why they won but when you look at Syracuse, I would almost put the loss on Syracuse's shoulders and not that Clemson beat them, but Syracuse beat themselves because they were plus three in turnover difference. They were, they had the game and just the players didn't keep their heads and it cost them penalties, which put Clemson into scoring positions, which allowed them to get back in the game. So I think Clemson is an all right team, but I agree with you, Bridge. I I do not think that they are a top five team. I I would put them at eight or nine, maybe even ten right now. I really would. I I don't see anything impressive from them. They they turn the ball over way too much, except for Shipley. I will I will give him some credit because he is a really great back. He's he's a workhorse for sure. So um I I just feel like Syracuse really got beat themselves but kind of wanting to highlight another game that happened in the ACC and not because of you know record wise or ACC division implications but just because me and you were talking about this bridge so Duke at the time four and three going on the road to Miami who's three and three and Duke forced eight turnovers against Miami and scored 28 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to win the game. Like, I don't know what Miami is going to do. I get it. It's Crystal Ball's first season, but you can't look at eight turnovers as being okay when you're this far into the season. Oh, yeah. Bridge, do we? Oh, Sorry. There you are. Not, no, you're good. I thought I lost you. you <laughs> yours was in and out for me. Um, but yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's crazy that Miami lost this game. Just from a talent standpoint, you would think that even in Crystal Ball's first year, that he could do some sort of coaching to get that, use the talent that he has at least to beat Duke, uh, especially at home. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive. And eight turnovers, that to me, uh, that's a coaching mistake. 
you don't your team doesn't have eight turnovers. like that's unheard of eight turnovers that's crazy like there's teams that go an entire season without eight turnovers and to do that in one game that's just that's unacceptable and um you know obviously van dyke isn't playing i don't know if he's hurt or not i haven't been following miami close enough but um their their quarterback that was playing through three interceptions and then obviously they had those five fumbles. That's just, you know, the, we, we were talking about awards for worst performance or most embarrassing loss this last week. And uh, Miami's got to be one of those <laughs> like nominees for that award because that's a, that's pretty embarrassing to lose that, that game, especially at home. It's, it's going to be hard for Crystal Ball to bounce, bounce back, I think, because you know, um, they were doing pretty good on the recruiting trail after three weeks. They started 3-0. and They were ranked like number 11, I think. And, you know, there there was talk of some of those top prospects that even, um, you know, I, I follow the Ohio State recruiting a lot closer than probably anybody. And um, there were there was talk of a few recruits, uh, five star recruits that were committed to Ohio State that had been looking at Miami uh, with the thoughts of taking a potential visit, and then Miami just and they hit the bed, man. They <laughs> they they haven't done anything since then, and um, you know it's hard when you're trying to recruit and then uh, you lose uh, all those games in a row. Um, you know, it's just it's tough to see because uh, it's hard to know with a first year coach, like what is that supposed to look like? But usually it's not a three and four start. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I I totally agree. It's it's not really looking the best for for Coach Cristobal and, and the Hurricanes. So moving on to the Big 12, we kind of wanted to talk about the Texas-Oklahoma State game first here. Um, I called this game. I said Oklahoma State was going to win. I didn't expect, though, Quinn Ewers to play that inconsistent. Um, He he didn't really have the best game at all. I felt like he was not necessarily making the right reads. I mean, he was 19 of 49, so really didn't complete the ball that well. He had three interceptions, which is on, you know, if we watched Quinn Ewers up to this point, we were making the argument that if Texas runs the table, that they could potentially make it into the college football playoff. But, I mean, just just from what transpired, Oklahoma State really was the better team. I mean, 32 first downs to Texas's 21. Uh, Oklahoma State went 8 of 19 on third downs. Texas went 3 for 17 and 0 for 2 on fourth down. So uh, Oklahoma State really turned up the heat in the in the second half. And, you know, we, we did say, though, winning in Stillwater is difficult for sure. However, Texas is kind of looking like Texas – from the past couple of years, and that's the Texas team who has really good outings against good teams and then somehow just finds a way to lose the game because I feel like Texas really had a firm grip on this game early, but it, they just let it slip away. So Spencer Sanders did play good, though, for, for Oklahoma State. He went 34-57, only had one interception, but... 
even then, like he he still played a really good game and and hats off to Oklahoma State. They still got hopes to make the trip down to Dallas for the Big Twelve Championship if they can just win out. And so uh they're still a really good team, but Texas is just yeah, man. I I, I personally after watching that Alabama game with Quinn Ewers, I expected more from this Texas team. Yeah, and I can't tell if that Alabama game was just like an overreaction or if Alabama is just maybe not the Alabama, you know, like not the Alabama that they usually are. And so, like, I, I honestly, I can't tell if that's an overreaction or maybe Texas just played out of their minds that day like and I really don't know but like I think you made a good point that this is kind of like a becoming like a pattern for Texas over the years and here here's the main statistic with that pattern it's uh the one thing that stands out to me in this game is that Oklahoma State had zero penalties for zero yards and Oklahoma State or or and Texas they had 14 penalties for 119 yards. So 120 yards in penalties. That is outrageous. And then you stack those penalties on top of a piss poor quarterback performance from Quinn Ewers. Like, man, that's how can you ever win a game like that? Especially against a a decent Oklahoma state team, you know, Texas easily could have won this game. had they played cleaner with the penalties and then, um, you know, the other thing is you have one of the best running backs in all of college football and you only run the ball with him 24 times. Um, and he gets 140 yards on 24 carries. That's an average of six yards a carry. Why are you throwing the ball 50 times in a game, especially when you're leading for most of the game? Why are you not running the ball with the best running back in the country? Like Bajan Robinson should have gotten 40 carries in this game. And his backup um, is also amazing. Rashawn Johnson, uh, he's also a senior. He's been having to play behind Bajan Robinson his whole career. And, you know, he broke one loose towards the end of the game for 52 yards. And, um, you know, he only had five carries for 73 yards. So I just, I'm surprised that with how bad Quinn Ewers was playing that Texas threw the ball 50 times and didn't run the ball more when they were obviously a heavy run threat in this game and had the lead. If you're trying to, to maintain that lead, you need to reduce the time of possession with the other team. And how do you do that? You ground and pound. And so I really don't understand, um, just the coaching part of that. And then obviously what I already mentioned with the penalties, you can't expect to have 120 yards uh, in penalties and the other team have zero and not lose the game. So, um, you know, coaching errors there. I do think that Texas has a lot of potential though. I think we talked about that a little bit the next year. I think that this Texas team could be really good. I think that the ceiling is really high for them. You know, they have really good recruits. They have good players. They're going to return Quinn Ewers. They're going to return Xavier Worthy. Uh, they're obviously lose. They're going to lose Bajan Robinson. But, um, you know, they, they do have a really good team. And I think that the ceiling for the team is really, really high. It's just unfortunate that they're not 
reaching that potential. But um, having said that, unless you have any other thoughts, Cars, we, we wanted no. to talk about TCU and Kansas State. And yeah, uh, and no, yeah, yeah go, you go, go ahead. ahead. What, what were your thoughts? Well, I was just going to say it was it was really impressive the how fast of a start Kansas State had to this game. Um, but I was also really impressed with TCU and how they didn't get phased with that double digit deficit that they had going into the second half. Uh, down, I think it was twenty one ten. So I was just really impressed, and TCU really came out in the second half and played a really good game. Uh, Max Duggan, again, played really, really good. Uh, didn't have any turnovers, uh, had three touchdowns and 280 yards through the air. But what was also really impressive was TCU's rushing attack. They had, um, especially with Kendra Miller, Kendra Miller had 29 carries for 153 yards and two touchdowns and really helped them in that second half. I still think Kansas State's a really good team. I I think that they still have the opportunity to make it to Dallas. Now, they will still have to play Oklahoma State, and that's actually this upcoming weekend, who, which I'm actually really excited because the winner of that game will take over second place in the Big 12. So now with Texas losing, it's going to make it a little bit easier because Oklahoma State and Kansas State both only have one loss. So that in the in 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 the Big 12, but that just means that TCU has now put themselves in a clear front-running position. Uh, and I think that this is a team where if they can go undefeated and win a conference championship, they're I could honestly see the playoff committee giving TCU a playoff spot because I've actually been really impressed with how their offense has been playing as as well as their defense, and especially against only holding Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez to 158 total yards rushing is is really impressive considering what those two have been able to do against other opposing defenses in the Big 12. So overall, I felt like TCU really had a – it was a really solid win for them. Yeah, and one thing that stands out to me about TCU is this is the second week in a row that they've played a tough-ranked team and went down by double digits early and made a comeback. And so I think that, you know, TCU, I think you made a good point. Like, they showed a lot of resiliency. I think they're a resilient team. I don't think that they get phased that much when they're down. I think that it's they're one of those teams that it kind of makes them want to play harder and I think that uh, Max Duggan has a lot to do with that. I think he's a really good quarterback. Um, as far as like getting the job done, I don't think he's the most talented guy, but he gets the he gets the job done, and he he does take care of the team, and he he makes that offense click, man. And I I really like what he does there. And um, you know, it is unfortunate Kansas State dealt with a ton of injuries in that game, like a ton and it hurt their momentum um, just as much. And so, you know, Kansas state jumped out to an early lead. They were up 28, 17, 28, 10 right before half. And then TCU had a really good drive to end the, to end the second quarter and scored a touchdown. So 
you know, it, it is unfortunate. Um, Adrian Martinez wasn't able to play as much as he wanted to in that game. He didn't, uh, he didn't even uh, really play. Um, yeah, I think the second and third drive, and then he came back in and then he went out. I, I'm not sure why that is. I know he was hurt and I'm not sure exactly what that injury was, but he didn't play the whole game and he was, he would come in for a drive and then he'd go out and then their backup quarterback got hurt. So they ended up playing their third string quarterback. Um, and all he did was throw one pass and it was an interception. So, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, Kansas state dealt with those injuries, but props to TCU, uh, for, you know, not being discouraged by how fast Kansas state came out of the gun. And, and, uh, you know, they, they did come back and, uh, they, they played tough and I think that they looked really good. So, um, I'm with you. I think TCU has a, a an opportunity here to, uh, go undefeated or even be a one loss big 12 champion and be considered to make the college football playoff, depending on what happens down the road with other teams. So, um, but they don't have any ranked matchups ahead of them, but it is the Big 12, and the Big 12 is a deep conference. It's really tough to get through the gauntlet. So, um, you know, they still have to get through Texas. They still have to get through Baylor. Uh, they have a Texas Tech team that on any given day can upset a team. So, you know, I, I like TCU's odds, though, of, of going undefeated and making it to the Big 12 championship and you're right. They did, they did put their themselves in the driver's seat kind of. So, um, you know, I, I like what I'm seeing from TCU. They're one of the sleeper teams from early this year that nobody really expected to be what they are right now. Um, mm-hmm. but moving on to the big 10, um, what, what were your thoughts on this Ohio state, Iowa game? Um, I, yeah, no, it was, it was a really good game. If you liked uh second half offense by one team and a no show by the other. Um, I felt like honestly, Iowa's defense did what they were supposed to do in the first half. I felt like they really did do everything possible to slow down Ohio state as much as they could. And they gave their offense a chance, but let me tell you, there is not a nice thing I can say about Iowa's offense. I mean, that offense is just horrendous. They're awful. They're crap. They're bad. Like, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it anymore. They had six turnovers, but I'm going to credit Ohio State's defense did play a really good job of making them turn the ball over um, and and putting their offense into really good situations. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., again, he's probably one of my favorite players to watch this year. Um. I think he's a phenomenal talent. I, in my opinion, personally, if I were to just take a snapshot, and I'm going to put Jackson Smith and Jigba in this argument just because he really hasn't played that much this year. But out of the wide receivers that Ohio State does have, I've been most impressed, and I really like Marvin Harrison Jr. I mean, just his size and his catch radius and his ability to make those difficult catches is just outstanding. Um, I think he's a once in, you know, once a generation talent. So it's, it's, it was a really, really good showing for Ohio state in the second half. Stroud was able to pick it up in the second half. He did throw that one interception in the first half, which was literally Iowa's only score. Uh, and he didn't even, uh, <laughs> he didn't even catch it. That's what's crazy on the interception. He like clearly 
dropped it and they didn't even review it. Not that it mattered. So I don't think anybody cared that much, but like <laughs> he like completely dropped the ball, which is kind of funny, but it, yeah. And uh, like I said, I I'm going to give credit for in the first half for Iowa's defense, because I mean, if we remember what it was 1914 at halftime, something like that. 19, it was 26 10. Yeah. Only because Ohio State had a pick six. That's right. That's right. 26 10. Right, uh, right before halftime. Exactly. And so Iowa's defense did everything they could. But let me tell you, that offense is atrocious. Let's let's just look at this. Okay. Spencer Petrus was 6 of 14 for 49 yards and two interceptions, a QBR of 5.9. Uh, and then they <laughs> put their backup quarterback in, maybe, you know, hopefully praying that they can get something going. And he went 5 of 10, 32 yards, one interception, and had a 3.1 QBR. I don't think Iowa's had a QB that's had a QBR over like 30 all year long. Like, it's they're just that bad. Um, But, I mean, their defense is definitely built to give their offense opportunities, right? Like, that, their defense did everything that was needed. They held Ohio State to field goals in the first half as much as they could. And then in the second half, we just saw that if you can't keep up to a certain point with Ohio State, they're just going to run over you. So that's what we saw. It was a dominant performance in the second half for sure by Ohio State. Uh, that offense is is really special, and I'm actually really excited to see uh, this game this week with Ohio State and Penn State. But from what I saw, Ohio State should definitely be ranked number one just from what I've seen. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a hard battle to to pick because you know on one hand you have Iowa's offense is just absolutely horrible, and you know. Ohio State's defense is much improved from what they were in the past. So, you know, Ohio State's defense did what you would expect them to do against a horrible offense, right? Get six turnovers and give the ball back to their offense. Um, And when you give that offense that many cracks at it, you know, obviously they're going to figure it out at some point and break it open. Um, It was a very slow start um, to the game. Ohio State in the first half had to settle for for uh, four field goals. Um, and, you know, that I think what it proved is that Iowa really does have a legit defense. Um, I think they're a great defense, but, um, you know, it's the most points that Iowa has even allowed in a game um, since they've had their head coach. So, um, you know, that I think that says something for sure at what Ohio State was able to do in this game. But, um you know, overall, I I was impressed with how Ohio State responded in the second half. I just don't know why it took them so long to make adjustments because uh, Iowa really committed to stopping the run. They were basically just saying, hey, you guys aren't going to be able to run the ball on us. You're going to have to throw it because we trust our corners. Um, I don't know if I'd trust any cornerback against uh, a wide receiver like Marvin Harrison Jr., but... Um, you know, that's what they did, and that was their game plan, and they did stop the run. Ohio State's done great running the ball this year. They've averaged for over 200 yards, and they only allowed them to run the ball for um, like 77 or uh, something like that. So they held them under 100 yards, but um, obviously when you give a Heisman candidate quarterback the ball that many times and um, with those wide receivers, eventually they're going to figure it out. And 
I, I was a little surprised that it took them that long to do that. Um, they didn't start really throwing the ball until the second half. I mean, most of those field goal tries came from uh, short third down conversions in Ohio State just couldn't uh, – they kept running the ball to try and get it, and they, they couldn't get it every time. So um, once they started throwing the ball, obviously they, they broke the game open. But I think my takeaways are Iowa's defense is really good, um, but also – Ohio State's, I think they're really good. I think that uh, offensively and defensively, they're more balanced than they've ever been. And they did what they should have done to a a decent Iowa team. Um, And so that's my take pretty much. Uh, You know, I think that they've proven that they're a more balanced team this year and uh, they have a top five defense. Uh, that's, That's a huge turnaround from last year where their defense was ranked uh, like a hundred and something. So um, big, big turnaround. Obviously uh, we've yet to see Ohio state play a legit offense. And so I think that's kind of why we're excited for this Penn state game is it'll be the first chance that we'll see Ohio state play uh, a team that on a talent and skill base level uh, can compare with them a little bit more than what uh, these other teams that they've played so far can. So um that's a good game. I think uh, a big surprise from the Big Ten this week was what Penn State was able to do to Minnesota. Yeah. Um, coming off of that loss, it, you know, we talked about this coming going into the game was, you know, Penn State last year and what they did in the first half of the season versus the second <laughs> half, and maybe we were going to see something similar. But, man, they turned on the Jets and just crushed Minnesota. And granted, Minnesota had a backup quarterback in. Uh, that threw three interceptions, but man, Penn State's offense—they took care of business in that game. And, and Minnesota's defense hasn't been bad this year; they really haven't. So I was surprised that Penn State did what they did to Minnesota, uh, especially especially offensively. Yeah, I mean, Sean Clifford was able to throw for four touchdowns. He did have an interception, but I mean, just a way better game. I felt like Sean Clifford played this week than last. Than a couple weeks ago against Michigan, but I just yeah I mean Minnesota was held for two for thirteen on third downs and and Penn State was able to get twenty four first downs and five of eleven on third down efficiency, which was a lot better than what they were able to last week and as well they were able to slow down uh, Mo Ibrahim and, th- and that was a big question right because of what Michigan was able to do to that defense two weeks ago. You know, everyone was like, "Well, they might struggle because Mo Ibrahim is is really, really good." But they've actually they actually held Minnesota to a hundred and sixty five rushing yards, and Minnesota really had to rely on that because Tanner Morgan was unavailable and not playing. So, I was really impressed with what Penn State did. I feel like they really needed that win because of the just how history has been repeating itself where Penn State has a great start to the season but then just ends up only winning one or two of their last five or six games so I feel like this is a really good start and it, and this is going to be a really good game against Ohio State and Penn State because you know this is going to be a home game for Penn State not a wide out but still a home game and so It'll be a really good atmosphere. It'll be exciting to see what Ohio State can do, and it'll be exciting to see what what Penn State can do. And and also, Katron Allen and uh, Nick Singleton definitely had a lot better games 
this week than they did last week against Michigan. They were both able to eclipse 70 plus yards rushing the ball, a couple touchdowns. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly glad to see Penn state win that game. Uh, they, they definitely were the better team in that one. And, and now this is just setting up to be a really good Ohio state Penn state matchup next weekend for sure. So uh, we'll really look forward to that. So, Moving on, we got the Pac-12. We really only wanted to talk about one game, and that was the UCLA-Oregon game. Um, Called it. <laughs> you did, and and you know what? Coming from me, that's, that's saying something, because I've always been very optimistic, right? Um, I mean, it's not really a surprise if you all figured out I hate Utah so much. It's because, yeah, I am an Oregon fan, so... But just looking at this game, I mean, I felt like Oregon really did what they needed to, especially against UCLA's offense. Uh, they held – I mean, UCLA was able to move the ball, but I think we all knew that. UCLA's offense has a lot of really good moving pieces. Um, and Oregon was just able to bend but not break. They definitely only allowed one touchdown in the first half. Uh, for, with UCLA, and, and that really helped their offense. And then that onside kick play call uh, right after Oregon went up 17-10 to 10 was was really gutsy by Coach Lanning, but it, it paid off. And, and one of the biggest just surprises of this game was DTR just didn't throw the ball that well. I mean, he was 27-39 to 39 and an interception. Uh, two touchdowns, but he did. He just wasn't really hitting his targets as much. Uh, Zach Charbonnet is a really good back for UCLA. He had 151 yards on 20 carries. He, he's he's a really special back. But the biggest really surprise of the day was how well Bo Nix played for Oregon. He was 22 of 28 for 283 and five touchdowns throwing the ball. I mean, he he just he had a great great game, and then. UCLA's rush defense was second in the Pac-12, and Oregon was able to just dominate the rushing, had 262 yards of rushing on the ground. I mean, Oregon was really dictating the game from the start, and it it really was surprising to me, at least, because I thought this game was definitely going to be a little bit closer, but... I mean, Oregon's looking like a really good team in the Pac-12 that might end up, you know down in Las Vegas at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, Bucky Irving and uh, Noah Whittington kind of came out of nowhere in this game and just ran all over UCLA. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, they, they really did hold DTR in check. He only rushed for 38 yards too, which is pretty uncommon for him uh, with his scrambling ability. So you know, Oregon took care of business. They, they, I think this Oregon team is just, I, I think looking back to that week one game with Georgia, I think that, um, you know, I think we overreacted and um, kind of just set Oregon to the side at first. I mean, they dropped clear out of the ranking after that first game. And everybody was praising Georgia for how good they were, but um, you know, going back, I actually went back and watched that game just to kind of get an idea. And the first half of that game, the score just said something completely different than how it actually went. 
Um, you know, if, if Oregon would have played clean in that game, I think that would have been one thing that would have changed the outcome tremendously. And then, you know, another big thing is if, if Georgia was to come and play in Eugene uh, today, I know that that game would be much closer than the 49 to three blowout that we had in week one. I, I know it would be, I think that Oregon took some time to settle in and Bo Nix especially, but I think Bo Nix is playing awesome. He's he's playing really well, and I saw s- statistics earlier today uh, comparing his these first eight games, uh, seven games that Oregon has played to uh, the 2014 Marcus Mariota Heisman season. And you know, Bo Nix has only thrown two touchdowns less for and 150 yards less. But other than that, uh, in the throwing game, he's done just as good and. Uh, running the ball, Bo Nix has ran for more yards on less uh, attempts than what Marcus Mariota did in his Heisman season. So you've got to be pretty happy with the way that Bo Nix is playing at this point of the season. I think that uh, Oregon's come a long way since week one. And I think that, you know, they're another one of those teams that's put themselves in the driver's seat of the conference. And you could see them uh, end up as a one loss 12 champion and with just the one loss to Georgia in Georgia, I think that you could argue they deserve a spot in the playoff. Um, And so, you know, they control their own destiny. They still have to make it through Utah and they'll probably have to make it through uh, USC uh, come uh, conference championship time, assuming that USC can uh, get through UCLA. But, um, you know, I think that Oregon really does control their own destiny. And if they win out, I think that they, can probably make the college football playoffs. So yeah, really impressed with what they were able to do with UCLA. But I honestly, I called it uh, not to be the guy that said, I told you so, but <laughs> you, um, did. you know, I, 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 I do like what Oregon's been able to do in the second half of the season or even since that Georgia game. And uh, UCLA is a good team props to them, but defensively, I just don't think that they can control the, or handle the firepower of a a good offense. And that's kind of what we were able to see, Um, you know, other than the Utah game, which is what we talked about, UCLA really hadn't proven anything. And I think Utah just had a bad day. Uh, They didn't really show up and it was in the Rose Bowl. And, you know, I I think it was just a bad day for Utah. But, um, yeah, really impressed with what Oregon was able to do. And now they have uh, Cal this week. So, um, and Oregon had a bye week last week, didn't they? Yeah, they Were they did. coming off of a bye? Yeah, yeah, so to come off of your bye week and look that clean, I think that's really impressive too. Um, you know, most teams come off of a bye week and got to rub some rust off for not having played for two weeks, you know, and um, I think Oregon played really good. I, I was impressed. And now mm-hmm. they have Colorado or California and then Colorado, <laughs> and then they play Washington, so – um, you know, you've got to like the, the the situation that Oregon is in right now, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want it to make it look like that. Like everyone's talking about how Georgia has the best win in the country now because, you know, they beat the number eight ranked Oregon Ducks week one. I just don't like I'm, maybe it's just me, but I don't. Uh, 
I don't accredit that win as highly as I do, like, just how bad Oregon played. Like, I don't think Georgia's that good. I just think that Oregon was that bad that game. Um, and so, like, I, like that's one thing that um, I kind of have seen started to happen is, like, that's pretty much the main reason why Georgia's even holding the number one ranked spot right now is just because of that one win. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think if they played again in Austin, Georgia might still win. I, th- I still think I would think that they would win, but it would be a lot closer. Yeah. Um, all right, so speaking of the SEC bridge, let's move over there. The first game I want to talk about is the one that me and you called, and that was the Ole Miss-LSU game. And actually, when I was watching college football, I mean, I saw this past Saturday, I saw the ticker for the LSU-Ole Miss game. And it was like seventeen to three, Ole, Ole Miss, and I was like, "Oh wow! Like this, this might be an actually good Ole Miss team." And then LSU just storms back and score and outscored Ole Miss forty-two to three in the after that, and one ended up winning the game forty-five to twenty. So I felt like LSU is is playing really, really good, but. You know, back to what we have been saying, I just don't feel like Ole Miss has played anything. And Jackson Dart hasn't played that good this year for Ole Miss. Uh, Jalen Daniels went 21 of 28, 248, and two touchdowns. I mean, this year his stats are, I, I mean, 12 touchdowns to one interception. He's taking care of the ball really, really well. And and I've actually been really really impressed with how he's been able to play and and I think you can kind of discredit that that Tennessee loss because that Tennessee team is just that good, but LSU is a really solid team and I feel like with what they've been able to do and the quality wins that they've had, they're a really good football team. And if I'm Alabama and I'm traveling to Death Valley this weekend, that should scare you because LSU now has beaten and knocked off Ole Miss and now they have their could argue their worst rival coming to town in Alabama and I mean this is this is bring up to be a really good game because Alabama defensively has been struggling this year and I really like with what Brian Kelly has been able to do with LSU I like the offense they've been running. Uh, their defense has been playing better every week. They still need to get better against the against the pass, but they've been playing the rush really, really good. Uh, and it, and it just they've been able to convert a lot more on third downs, which is something that they couldn't do against Tennessee, and that's why Tennessee was able to beat them so so bad. So I mean, if LSU can clean up those things, Alabama's going to be in for a dogfight. Yeah, I'm with you. I think LSU's, you know, imagine if LSU wouldn't have lost that week one game to Florida State, which they probably shouldn't have. But um, imagine if they hadn't. And at this point of the season, their only loss is to uh, a really good Tennessee team. And they just beat Ole Miss, the trick number seven. Uh, You'd have LSU in the top 10 for sure. Oh, yeah. So I think LSU is a really good team. I think that Jaden Daniels, what he did in this Ole Miss game, I, I accredit this win to him for this reason. 
every drive that LSU had um, first down on every single possession that they had, every first down that they had, it seemed like Jaden Daniels, he would either complete a pass, which obviously helps on first down. um, And if he didn't complete the pass, he would run the ball for at least five yards. And so almost every possession that I watch personally, they, after first down, they would have second and short. And that helped their offense tremendously to get going. And so, um, you know, LSU took care of business after they went down 17-3. I thought that was, um, you know, a really quick start for Ole Miss. And then, you know, LSU just came back and just laid the wood, right? So, um really impressed with Jaden Daniels. I mean, he's a he's a good athlete and when he takes care of the ball, LSU is a dangerous team. Uh you know, Jaden Daniels, it, you never like to see your lead rusher have uh it be your quarterback, you know, but sometimes it works out like Lamar Jackson. Um you know, when Lamar Jackson won the Heisman, he was the lead running back on the team and you know, an athlete like Lamar Jackson he can get away with it because he's the fastest guy on the field and so elusive. It's insane. But, you know, Jaden Daniels, he's also, he's a good runner and he ran the ball for 121 yards and scored three touchdowns on the ground and then threw for another two touchdowns, had five touchdowns total. And, um, you know, he took care of the ball as well. He didn't fumble. He didn't throw any interceptions, uh, if he can play like that, it takes a really good quarterback performance to beat Alabama. That's what it takes. Uh, we saw that with Quinn Ewers. We saw it with Hendon Hooker. Um, you know, it takes a good quarterback to beat Alabama. And Jaden Daniels has the potential. Uh, if I'm Alabama going to Death Valley, I'm a little scared for this game because, um, you know, you know it's going to be super loud. Uh, Alabama hasn't done good in tough environments this year going back to Texas. Um, and then uh, the Tennessee game. So, um, you know, I think that LSU is a great team. I think that they they did good at getting uh, Kishom uh, Butte. I think that's how you say his last name. I don't know. I've always said Bout, but the commentators were all saying Butte. Who, who knows? Do you know? Is it Butte? Uh, I think it is Butte, but I'm actually, I, I'm not too sure uh, either. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, whatever. Um yeah, excuse my English for saying bout if that's not there. Obviously, it's not an English name, um, but Butte, uh, cool. Um, you know, I think they got him going a little bit more. He had four receptions. That's uh, the most he's had this season uh, with an average of 10.8 yards. So, you know, he's their best wide receiver. You've got you to get him the ball more. And I've said that before on this podcast that, you know, Kishon uh, Butte, he needs the ball in his hands more. He's their best wide receiver. And, um, yeah, I, I like what LSU was able to do. I felt like Ole Miss was a little overrated going into this game, and so I think that kind of proved that. But they they were just following the preseason rank, and they hadn't lost a game. So, obviously, they they weren't going to, you know, lower them in the ranking. They, they kept winning. So, um but yeah, definitely impressed with what LSU was able to do. And then, um, you know, talking about Alabama, I don't know that their win over Mississippi State was that impressive. Uh, I watched the game. Bryce Young is just, he's just crazy, man. <laughs> Nobody can stop that guy. He it, it doesn't matter 
if they get in the backfield or not. He just runs circles on the defensive lineman and throws a a 30-yard bomb and his wide receivers with 30 seconds in the backfield, the corners just lose them. And, you know, Bryce Young finds his open receivers. It's awesome. But, you know, Mississippi State outgained Alabama in the game. Uh, so, you know, the score is one thing, 30 to six, and, and Mississippi State's six points came on the literally the last play of the game. Um, and they ran the ball in for a touchdown. That's why it's only six. They didn't even let him kick the extra point because time expired. But, um, you know, the, the score is one thing, 30 to six. Um, but I think that there's definitely something to be said about the fact that Mississippi State outgained Alabama. Or maybe I'm crazy for saying that. I don't know. Um, I can't make it make sense in my head uh, how they could have less yards but have that like four more touchdowns. So I, I don't know. What What do you make of that? It, yeah, it was it was weird for sure because first down wise, right? Alabama's only had pl- was plus one in the first down difference. The Alabama had twenty one. Mississippi State had twenty. Uh, third down efficiency, both teams didn't really execute on third down the best. Fourth down, though, Mississippi State was three to six. So, but you're right, Bridge. I mean, total yards, Mississippi State had 293 and Bama had 290. So the, the score, it was, it was just baffling to me how Alabama was able to, I mean, get this though, Alabama only had 29 rushing yards. That statistic is crazy to me. That's crazy. I've never seen Alabama get outrushed by a team that doesn't even run the ball. Yeah, that you're right, because Mississippi State is that air raid Mike Leach offense. So Dude, I, they don't even run the ball ever. Last week they ran the ball ten times. The only thing the I the week think, before this game. The only thing and the only reason I can maybe see why it is what it is is because Mississippi State did have that turnover, but they also had 10 penalties for 100 yards to Alabama's three penalties for 20 yards. So, I mean, this Alabama needs to seriously look in the mirror and reevaluate themselves because they're coming down to LSU, who's a really good team. And regardless of if they can sneak by LSU, they still got to go to Atlanta and and play whoever it is that they need to play in the national champ or in, excuse me, in the SEC championship game. So Alabama, I think this is the first year where I've seen Alabama and I'm like, there's a lot of teams that could possibly beat Alabama this year. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I mean, their yards per rush was one. It's not, it's not like Alabama just barely ran the ball and only got 29 yards rushing. They ran the ball 27 times. And so they they had an average yards per rush of one yard, 1.1. Uh, that might be the worst rushing performance I've ever I, – I don't know the true statistic. I don't know if this is true or not. But I can't think of another time where I've looked down at that statistic and seen that. I think in the Nick Saban era, I've never seen them run the ball for that few of yards – um, especially when you have the talent that you do in Jameer Gibbs uh, and and your Alabama. It shouldn't matter even if it's not Jameer Gibbs. Like You should still be able to run the ball for more than a yard every play. I mean, that's that statistic alone is impressive. That's why I say like this 
game was really just Bryce Young running around in the backfield and finding open receivers. Other than that, it's not like Alabama did anything crazy. They only scored six points in the second half. Um, and so, you know, and Mississippi State, they they did get in Alabama territory quite a few times and couldn't just they just couldn't make it happen. You know, they um, like you read that statistic, they were three for six on fourth down. Uh, that means they had three turnover on downs um, in Alabama territory. So, um, you know, had Mississippi State been able to do just a little bit more, maybe that game would have been different, especially because of, you know, I- I'm still just shocked that Mississippi State ran for more yards than Alabama did by double the number. Uh, if you would have told me that before the game, I would have said there's no way that uh, Jameer Gibbs in Alabama can't run the ball for more than what Mississippi State can. There's no way. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I was impressed by that. So, But you're right. I think the 10 penalties for 100 yards, uh, that definitely, definitely hurts Mississippi State. I mean, that's when you think about that, 100 yards, um, you know, if Alabama's starting with the ball on the 35-yard line, um, probably most possessions and you give them 50 yards and penalties for two possessions, you know, that's probably two touchdowns right there alone, just in penalties. So, yeah. Um, you know, that, that definitely hurts. And Alabama, they played a little better, obviously, because they've been heavily penalized this, this year um, with only three penalties. I felt like their corners played a little um you know, I th- I think their corners got away with a little bit in this game. There were a few times where I was like, hmm, that, that could have been uh, holding or pass interference, not not saying anything bad about Alabama or that, that it should have been. I'm just saying, like, watching the game, that's how I felt. But they were there weren't any flags flown, and I don't think that it would have changed the outcome of the game by any means. So, um, But, yeah, I think Mississippi State might have shot themselves in the foot for sure with the penalties. Yeah, and you know this will be a really interesting game for for Alabama LSU this upcoming week. I'll be excited to to tune into that one. But one game that me and Bridge just kind of wanted to mention, just because of how bad of a loss it is, is South Carolina beat A and M thirty to twenty four. Which, if you look at it, shouldn't seem that crazy, right? South Carolina was four and two, whatever. But if you looked at it. Miss or excuse me, South Carolina returns the opening kickoff to the house, right? Okay, so they're up seven. Then Haynes Keen throws an interception, AM's first first possession. Well, shoot. South Carolina gets a field goal. Then Texas AM fumbles. South Carolina gets a touchdown. So the first three drives, South Carolina gets, I mean, 17 given points. And if you looked at the rest of the game after that, South Carolina only scored 13 points the rest of the entire game. So Texas A&M shot themselves in the foot because, in my opinion, South Carolina is not a good team. Spencer Rattler didn't even play good. He's one of the most overrated quarterbacks I have ever seen come out of high school. He's not good. They're... South Carolina is a decent team. I'm not going to say they're horrible because they do find ways to win, but they're not great. 
I mean, but th- this should cause some concern for Texas A&M because they're three and four now. Jimbo Fisher arguably had the greatest recruiting class of all time last year, and now they're three and four. I don't care. I don't. I don't care that they're all freshmen. If they're the greatest recruiting class ever, your team should not be three and four, let alone losing the games that you're losing. I mean, they got blown out by Mississippi State. They got beaten by South Carolina. They got just. They got beaten against Appalachian State. I, they lost a game to Alabama, which in which they should have won, but lost because of poor play calling. Like. I honestly think at the end of this year or even before the end of this year, Jimbo Fisher is going to be on the hot seat because I'm not even going to credit South Carolina with a great game because if you looked at it, after all those stupid turnovers that A&M had, A&M outscored them 24-13. So if you take away the opening kickoff and if you take away one of those interceptions that Haynes Keen threw and you know you, you hold on to the fumble, like this is a dramatically different game. I'm, you know, hats off to South Carolina, but Jimbo Fisher's in the hot seat for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, it's embarrassing because not only are they three and four, you're starting to talk about Texas A&M like uh, they've got to fight for even a bowl game at this point. They still have to win three more games and they only have five games left. And, uh, you know, all of those games are Ole Miss. You still got to make it through Ole Miss. You still have Florida. Uh, you still have to beat Auburn. And, yeah, Auburn sucks, but they're also three and four, just like Texas A&M, and it's at Auburn. Um, and then you've got your freebie SEC game the second week before – the second to last week. They, they play the Massachusetts. Uh, so there's their freebie game. Uh, and then they have to play LSU. So they still have five games, and four of those five are all games that they could lose. They're, none of them are guaranteed. Um, you've got to think if Texas A&M doesn't make a ball game that uh, there's going to be some serious uh, you know, coaching changes. Uh, and I'm not just talking about Jimbo. They've got to get rid of the whole thing, man. Like their offense is just terrible. They might keep their defensive coordinator. Their defense has been better, but their offense is so bad. It's so bad. Well, and Jimbo Fisher doesn't have an offensive coordinator. I think that's a big reason why he play calls, doesn't he? Yeah. He's the one calling the plays on offense. They need to hire an offensive coordinator. Yeah, you've got to do something. I mean, something has to change. You can't – how many seasons in a row is it that they've started in the top 10 and they always end up 8-4? and four? You know, they talk about the 8-4 and four curse, you know, but I don't see this team going 8-4 and four this year. I, I, don't, I might see them 6-6. Six and six. I don't like. I don't know if they'll make. I don't know if they'll win their next three games. I don't. I don't think they'll beat Ole Miss this week. Uh, and I. I. I'm doubting their ability to beat Florida. I really don't know if they'll beat Florida. Uh, I could see them beating Auburn and Massachusetts, but then I don't think they'll beat LSU. So, yeah, it's gonna come down to that Florida game. And if they lose, I don't know if they'll make a bowl game. And even if they do make a bowl game. Who cares when you're six and six? Who are you going to play? Like, um, 
Yeah, they're gonna get like Rutgers or something. Like, <laughs> like how do you have that much talent on your team, and you can barely make a bowl game? That's coaching. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the players. That's a hundred percent coaching. You have all the players you need. Your coaching just sucks. That's literally what it comes down to. And Jimbo hasn't been able to do anything since he's been there. So, you know, they 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 do need a change, and hopefully they can find a good coach because Texas A&M could be a legitimate contender in the SEC West, and uh, they just aren't right now. Um, but it's something that I think we'd all like to see. It, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is definitely not how I saw Texas A&M season going, but there legit might be a coaching change at the end of this season because, I mean, Texas A&M boosters especially, I've heard, are really picky and are actually worse than University of Texas, the Longhorns. So, I mean, just the demand oh, to I'm win. Sure they're pissed. I mean, think yeah. about the money they've put into NIL. Exactly. Alone. Yeah, exactly. Just to win. It's it's not looking good for for A&M, but, uh, you know, I think we're going to end there. We had a really great week this past week. We'll do our picks on Wednesday, hopefully. We'll have to do it a day before because I got to catch a flight to Ann Arbor watching the Michigan-Michigan State game. That'll be fun. Um, Be a really good atmosphere there in Ann Arbor, so – but thank you guys so much for, for listening, and we will see you all on Wednesday for me and Bridger to make our picks for this upcoming week.